My name is Rob. I'm the student minister here at Wellspring. And my name is Emily, and I'm the kids minister. And we really are just very, very, very thankful that you're here with us this morning. And so a few elephants in the room. Uh, sure. I'm wearing a jacket, right? <laughs> uh, and, and doesn't it look nice? And, look at him. All oh, hold on. I know, hold on. I know. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> the other elephant in the room is I just spilled coffee on my shirt. Like moments ago, just like long enough ago, ago to where I couldn't fix it, sure. but just a short enough amount of time where we I had to like live with I it knowing lie. I was yeah. coming out here. Uh, so we made a quick plan on how do I reveal this? So ignore the coffee stain on my shirt. Uh, but in order to, Emily said she was going to teach with me this morning and I'm, and I'm excited to have her with me this morning. And she said, sure. I'm wearing a blazer. I said, you can't just wear a blazer and me not. <laughs> And me not wear something a little bit nicer. Uh, so here I am, and I've successfully ruined it. Ruined but, it. But Listen, still. the thing is, I, I thrifted this. I cut the shoulder pads out myself, so if I get a chance to wear it, I'm going to. And we are really, really excited uh, to continue our series today, Blazers and All, uh, about David. So David, if you've been joining us the last couple of weeks, you know, was a man after God's own heart, right? Chosen by God to lead the kingdom of Israel. And so this morning, we're going to look specifically into the way that David led those under him. So like Barry said earlier, we're kind of doing a family focus today because the way that David parented his kids impacted his kids and his grandkids and his great grandkids and ultimately the entire kingdom of Israel. David had a lot of influence and impact. And so we're going to take a look at that influence this morning, but also the impact and influence that we hold for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've titled the sermon this morning, David's Legacy, looking at all the ways that David impacted not only the people around him, but also the generations that would follow him. Here at Wellspring, we have four values that feed into our mission. We want people to find family, to know God, to discover purpose, and to make an impact. And we believe that those four things feed into our mission so that in every ministry and everything we do as a church, we're following our mission statement, which is we want to help people follow Jesus. We want to help as many people follow Jesus as possible. And just like Emily said, the way that David carried himself affected the people that came after David. And in the same way, the things that we do, the big decisions, the small decisions, everything affects not only us, but the people around us and the people who are down the line from us. So the people who are going to experience the impact of this purpose and of this conversation in action, the people who will see the fruits of the labor that we work on today are going to be far past us. You might not even have the experience or opportunity to know and see those who will experience what we do, but that doesn't make it less important. So we looked at David as having many different titles. We've seen him as the worshiper. We've seen him as a warrior, as a king. And in every area, David had good and he had bad And today, we're looking specifically at David as a father. If you were here with us last week, we looked at how we're always walking in our our position. We're always walking in our passion. We're always walking in our purpose. Or we're walking towards our purpose. And David, we looked at last week as walking to his title. And what actually happened when he became king. And this week, we're excited because we're talking about what happens when we actually have some sort of title in our lives. Some sort of purpose we're walking in. I think a lot of us, when we have that title, it makes us recognized, it makes us us revered, it makes us respected, Uh, but I think more than anything, it makes us responsible. When we have that title, it makes a large responsibility become apparent in our lives. And I think that responsibility is something we see in David as a father, but his leadership extended far past just fatherhood. Because before we get much further into this, I just want to pause for a second and ask you to not tune this out if you feel like David's fatherhood is not something that you are currently experiencing. 
So maybe for you, your kids are fully grown and parenting looks a lot different for you these days than it used to. Or maybe you're like Rob and I and you don't have kids. But whether you're a middle schooler or you're a parent or anywhere in between, I really do believe that God has something to teach us in this story if we allow ourselves to open ourselves up to it, if we lean into it. Because the reality is we all have influence. We all have the ability to be leading and guiding and nurturing those behind us. And everything that David did, all of his actions, they affected those around him. And the reality is everything that we do and everything that we don't do impacts and influences those who come after us, parent or not. And there is something that when I was a kid uh, really set the trajectory for my life. It really influenced where I was going. um, And I still remember it really clearly to this day. And I know that it's being passed down because your kids are doing the same thing and acting like it's new and trying to teach me about it. Um, And that thing is this little slip of folded up paper. And when I was eight years old, this little contraption that I could make in 10 seconds would tell me whether I was going to have a successful rest of my life or if my next day was going to be full of tragedy. Uh, And obviously, this paper has no power or influence over my life or my future. Um, But if you're going to look me in the eyes and tell me you didn't also believe it when you were a kid, I think you're lying. Um, And so I would use this all the time on the playground, everywhere. And we are going to use it this morning because if you thought that the student minister and the kids minister were going to come up on the stage and not use an object lesson, you're also fooling yourselves. Um, and so we're really excited about it. going to spice things up. So what I need yeah. is I need... Yes, something? Nothing to okay. say. All right. I need two volunteers that can come up and help me because uh, this is going to set the trajectory for our next two minutes. You don't have to do it a lot, I promise, but I do need two volunteers. Pretty please. We've got people. We need two people. Katie? Katie, two. I see you. Come on up, Katie. Right, Katie and Mallory are coming? Okay, come Katie on, Katie and Mallory, come on up. Yeah, come on up, come on up, come on up, come on up. Come on up. Hurry, 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 hurry. Time I need is you to the help essence, me. ladies, come on. Ladies, come on. Please, please, great. please. Okay, here's the deal. Mallory, have you ever used one of these before? Okay. Have, you, have you ever used one of these yes, before? Okay, good. Um, so the decisions that you make today... Uh, this thing is full of really cool prizes and the most mediocre prize that nobody actually even wants. Um, and your decisions don't impact you. They actually affect Katie. So the prize or lack thereof is Katie's prize or lack thereof because everything we do and don't do impacts those who come after us. Now you're getting it. See? All right. So Mallory, I need you to pick a color first off. Um, green. Green. Okay, good. G-R-E-E-N. All right. A number one, two, five, or six? Uh, six. Six. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, five, or six. Last number. Um, um, it's a really big deal. Two. Two. Drum roll, please. The children would do it for me, so I need you to do it for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A $15 Starbucks gift card! Incredible And now, news. the real reason I wore the jacket is so professional. I have it, like, here. I mean, I are you joking out. me? I'm Look sorry, at that. It's, Look at that. That was yeah. beautiful. That was beautiful. Coffee stain and I'll all. I'll take that back. Coffee stain and thank all. Thank you. Everything we don't do and everything we don't do impacts those who come after us. Everything. Uh, whether it's things that we think are really significant or things that we would often pass or look over as unimportant, all the things that we do affect somebody in some way. Emily and I teach this also in our ministries as much as we can. Uh, I think there's a lot of power in teaching teenagers and children that actions have consequences. Do you guys agree? We've seen that. It's important for us to know because I think a lot of us probably know a lot of adults who haven't taken that to heart yet. That the things you do have consequences, good or bad. I think this is true for us. I think it's also true for David. And we think we see that in scripture. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of first Kings and turn to chapter two, David, the man after God's own heart, whom we've been talking about, uh, for five weeks now, 
Uh, We find him in this passage on his deathbed. David is about to die. But before he dies, he wants to pass along a charge, a, a charge of importance, of value to his son, Solomon. Solomon is the youngest of the 10 boys David has. And Solomon is the one who's going to be taking the throne as king of Israel when David dies. If you'll read with me, starting in verse two, David says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He said, so be strong, act like a man and observe what the Lord, your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations. As written in the law of Moses, do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, if they walk faithfully before me and with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Notice that promise from God to David is fresh on David's mind as he is about to die. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. I believe David's final charge to Solomon here, I think it says a lot of great things. David said a lot of really powerful, wonderful, and true things to his son Solomon. Be strong, trust in the Lord, lean into him. And be careful to do this because all the generations after you and me are going to be affected by your decision to follow God and teaching your family to do so. David said that, and I think everything David said is true, but I think there's a big difference between saying the right thing and living a life where we actually try to do the right thing all the time. You see, Solomon was always watching David, and the reality about David, as good of a man after God's own heart as he was, is David as a father was often distracted, he was often angry, he was short-tempered, and Solomon saw all those things. Every time David responded to something as king, every time David responded to a situation as a father, or as a husband, or as the king of Israel, everything David did, Solomon saw. So So even though David said all the right things at the end, I don't believe that saying all the right things at the end equates seeing and watching a life where somebody is trying to do the right thing at every turn with their actions. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he did not always teach his kids to be. He was chosen by God not because of natural ability, but because God looked at his heart and saw that it was good. And he's been remembered for centuries as pursuing the heart of God, and yet he missed a crucial opportunity to lead his children to pursue that very same heart of God. I strongly believe that one of the most important things that we can do with our lives is teach our kids and our students how to pursue the heart of God. Parents, your kids are looking to you to model that for them, to show them what a life of following Jesus looks like. And yet that goes so much further than just parents. Because the reality is we all have influence. We all have the ability and opportunity to show the next generation the heart of God. The question has never been, do I have influence? The question has always been, will I use that influence? And I'm reminded in this story that we learn of David that we need to recognize our influence. Everything we do, everything we don't do impacts and affects those coming after us. And we have this opportunity, so the question is, will we use it? Will we take it? So we've been talking for the last few weeks about David and all the things that David did, and yet this morning we're forced to recognize the things that David did not do. And it had an impact on his son, Solomon. So Solomon knew God, right? David did teach him who God was, how to make sacrifices to God. And so Solomon knew God, and and one night God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? 
And in humility, Solomon recognized, I don't always know what it takes to lead a kingdom of people, to govern people. I don't know what that looks like. And so God, will you give me wisdom? And God was really, really pleased that he didn't ask for riches or power or fame, but that he asked for a discerning heart. And so God granted it to him. And up until the time of Jesus, Solomon was the wisest man that ever walked the earth. People would come from all nations just to listen to his wisdom. He became the richest man on earth. He grew in riches and power because of his wisdom. He began um, to build a temple and a palace and a strong nation. And yet the Bible tells us that very quickly, that power and that fame that he grew, he began to seek that over seeking the heart of God. So it tells us that he had 700 wives, right? That he, he began to seek riches and he began to worship other gods. He began to stray from the heart of God. And in 1 Kings eleven six, it says this. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. See, in humility, Solomon asked God for wisdom. And it was in arrogance that Solomon turned away from God. He began to lead on his own power, his own knowledge, his own ability, and he turned away from the heart of God. And Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes that we find in our Old Testament. Um, And in it, we get to read some of the things that Solomon discovered about the life that he was leading. So Ecclesiastes 1, 16 through 18, he writes this. Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and of knowledge. And then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, but also of madness and of folly. And I learned this, that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The lesson we learn here is that being wise is not nearly as valuable as what we do with the wisdom we already have. We can spend our whole life trying to become more and more wise, more educated, but if we are seeking only wisdom, but not seeking what to do with that wisdom and opportunities to share that, then we're wasting it. And Solomon, the wisest man, like Emily said, on earth until Jesus entered the picture, he had such great wisdom. But even with his vast wisdom, Solomon couldn't find fulfillment or purpose because everything he had, he put into his own wisdom. Solomon found that that wisdom, his gifting, the gift that God had given him to be wise and have a discerning heart, it was wasted on himself because he didn't use it. And Solomon realizes this, and in Ecclesiastes, he even says it was a chasing after the wind. It was a waste of time. It was an endless pursuit of something that was impossible because he was leaning on himself. And even though his life didn't always reflect that, I do believe Solomon learned a lot about what it means to really trust in God based off the life he chose to live. That's why I think it's ironic that one of the most famous passages in scripture, one that a lot of you may or may not have hanging in your kitchen on the wall somewhere, was written by Solomon. This is Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, where Solomon writes, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Verse five there is the second piece of wisdom we find this morning in our pursuit to be leaders and parents and mentors after the heart of God is we need to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Solomon did nothing in his life except lean on his own understanding and yet he learns this valuable lesson. I think that's something that a lot of us do is a lot of us are able to say the right things, but we don't always do the right things. We saw that with David, and then we see that with Solomon, somebody whose life didn't have that example, but he realizes the importance 
of putting God first and leaning into God's wisdom and not his own. And I think that we need to look back a little bit. If you look back to the promise that God made to David, where he said, if they walk in line with me, your children will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Solomon is given a very similar promise by God. If you look in first Kings chapter nine, starting in verse six, this is God to Solomon. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them and will reject this temple I've consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. God instilled in David the importance of legacy, the importance of here's what's going to come after you if you want to maintain your spot as the kings and leaders of Israel. God then instilled that same promise of legacy and that same importance into Solomon, David's son. So it begs the question after the life that Solomon chose to live, despite what he learned along the way, what does he pass down to then his kids? I'll direct you to Solomon's son, King Rehoboam. Uh, This is a great story to read in scripture. I want to encourage you to go read it on your own time. Uh, For the sake of time, I'll paraphrase one of the more valuable stories we see in Rehoboam. And it's this. Rehoboam became king after Solomon, his father, died. And as the grandson of King David and as the son of King Solomon, Rehoboam has very large shoes to fill, except he doesn't have a very wonderful example of a life well spent in his father, Solomon. And when he gains the throne, when he, when he ascends to king of Israel, the people of Israel come to Rehoboam and they say to him, your father Solomon was really, really harsh on us. He was very strict. Scripture says that uh, the people of Israel said he had a very heavy yoke on us. And what that means is a yoke is the large piece of wood that would go on top of cattle to direct them in the correct way to go. And so they're saying the yoke your father had on us that Solomon had, it was very, very heavy. And so they asked Rehoboam, they said, unlike your father, would you lighten the load? Would you be more kind to us? Would you be more gentle with us? Would you treat us fairly and kindly? And if you do that, then we'll follow you faithfully. But if you don't do that, we're not going to follow you. So Rehoboam has a very big decision to make. The grandson of David, the son of Solomon, has a big decision to make. What am I going to do in response to the request Israel has made to be a more kind ruler? So he seeks wisdom. Rehoboam first goes to Solomon's wise counsel, which is still around. I don't know how wise you have to be be to be on Solomon's wise counsel, but that is the men that he went to. So these guys are pretty smart and experienced, right? Rehoboam goes to them and he tells them the situation. He says, the people of Israel, they want me to go easier on them. They say they'll follow me if I do it. What should I do? And the leaders say, do it. Lighten the load on Israel. Be more kind to them. Unlike your father, Solomon, lighten the load and they'll follow you. They'll do as they say. And that way you can reign as king peacefully and they'll follow you faithfully. Rehoboam, here's where he goes wrong. He was right to seek wisdom. He was wrong because when he heard good advice, it wasn't the advice he wanted to hear. Has anybody ever had that happen? So here's what he does. He says, I'm going to instead go and I'm going to ask one more group of people for help. And he turns away from Solomon's wise counsel, the wisest man that had lived at that time, his wise counsel. He says, I don't really like their answer. I'm going to go to my friends and my peers and these younger people who are my level. How many of you guys have a friend who has no business giving you life advice? (laughs) Some of us. That's exactly what he did. And they told him exactly what he wanted to hear. 
his friends told him, be more strict, heavy the burden, make sure they know who you are. You have the title of king of Israel. That title should make you revered. It should make you respected. It should make you recognized. And that's what Rehoboam experienced. He experienced the power that comes with the title, but he ignored the responsibility. A lot of us in our titles, when we're walking with some sort of leadership, with influence, with people walking behind, it makes us revered, respected, and recognized. So much of that is great, and it feels so great that we ignore the responsibility that puts on us. Rehoboam did the same thing. And here's the response. He heavied the burden on Israel. He chose to go with his dumb friends and what they said to do instead of Solomon, his dad's wise counsel. And he was more strict. He laid the hammer down on the Israelites. He told them exactly what they were going to do if they were going to be in his kingdom. And here's the response we see in 1 Kings chapter 12 from Israel. It says, when all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king. This is Israel to Rehoboam. What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son to your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David says it. The Israelites went home, but as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So exactly what they said they would do if they, if Rehoboam was too strict and didn't lighten up, they said, we won't follow you. That's exactly what happened. So they left part of the nation of Israel left and you have a kingdom Israel divided And from then on, it was Israel and it was Judah. It was no longer just Israel. Every decision that Rehoboam made, the decision he made to follow poor wisdom didn't just affect him, but it left a whole nation divided. Rehoboam had incredible influence, an opportunity to take care of his people, but he did not accept good help. He did not listen to the wiser influence. And when I think through the story of Rehoboam, I am reminded that we must seek wisdom in the right places. Because the reality is in the world, we are surrounded by people and things fighting for influence over us, right? So students, every single time that you step into your school or into your neighborhood, you are met with thousands of people wanting influence over you. But adults, it's the same for us. Whenever you step into your workplace or into your social circles, there are thousands of things competing for influence over you as well. Every time we open up our phones, scroll through social media, watch the news, talk to a peer, there's things that want influence over us. And so the question is, what are we going to allow to have influence over us? Whether you're asking directly for advice like Rehoboam was or not, things are impacting you. And so the question is, where are you getting your wisdom from? Because where we get our wisdom matters. So what do we learn as we look at David and this family tree, this dysfunctional three generations of David and Solomon and Rehoboam? If you remember back to God's promise to them, he said, as long as you obey faithfully, you'll have a seat on the throne of Israel. And it wasn't the decisions alone that David and Solomon and Rehoboam made that affected that promise. God still honored David's family, and they gradually continued to have seats on the throne for more generations past Rehoboam. But the decisions and the trajectory that David, Solomon, and Rehoboam started, it was down the road. And that's what we're trying to say this morning is down the road, you're going to see the effects of good legacy and faith in your family. But also down the road, you're going to see the negative effects as well. And God promised David and Solomon that if they remained obedient and their kids did, they would have a seat on the throne. But look at what happens in Jeremiah 52, starting in verse 1. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. 
He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Generations after David, generations after Solomon, generations after Rehoboam, God came through on his end of the promise and removed them from the throne when Babylon came in and took over. We see that it's being true in the life of David. It wasn't the decisions they made, but down the road as they gradually made small steps away from God's purpose, away from God's plan, as they leaned more and more into their own understanding over the years, over generations, we see the consequences of those small actions. When we recognize our influence, when we trust in God, and when we seek wisdom in the right places, on the other side of that obedience, not only will we find a strong faith for ourselves, but we're going to find a long-lasting legacy and faith that will stand the test of time, not just for us, but for our families, for your families, and for our church as well. And as a church, that's what we're trying to do, right? We have committed ourselves to helping people and families and students and kids all know and follow Jesus And as a staff, that's what we're devoted to. As a next-gen team, that's what we've devoted ourselves to. It's helping kids and students and families all know the heart of God. And we want and we hope that we are able to be a resource for that because we recognize that parenting is so taxing and difficult and yet so important. And it's so easy to stand and say, well, parenting is really important and what you do matters and it influences other people, but it's also much more complex than that. I talk to a lot of parents that say things like, before I became a parent, you know, it was really easy to be like, well, well when, I'm a, when I have kids, I'll discipline them this way. They'll go to this school. They'll have this much screen time. This is what they'll eat. This is how I'll parent. And then you're in it, and you realize it's all just so much more complex than you initially realize. And this summer, uh, Rob and I actually had the chance to spend a lot of camps together. Because uh, part of our ministry and part of what we do is we t- try to have a hand in each, other's, in each other's work. And so I got to spend middle school camp, uh, which is the camp that Rob was leading with him, which was a really, really fun and exciting adventure. Sure. And it was, it was my mm-hmm. first year as dean. And so I went in with a lot of expectations and a lot of clear, here's how it's going to go. Here's what we're going to do. And I'm sure for any of you that have been to a middle school camp, nothing goes exactly how you think it's going to go. No. And one morning it specifically comes to mind, uh, actually one evening, I had asked Gabe and Emily if they would help us by leading our morning show. So every morning uh, after the kids wake up and have breakfast, they would come into the gym and Gabe and Emily would host the students. Yeah. And We're a uh, hoot. We're a lot of Fun. They're, so, yeah. they're a lot of fun, so, <laughs> so they think. And I'm kidding. They were fun. It was funny. It was yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. Um, and with middle schoolers, like you have a lot of prizes that are great. They don't really care about any prize. No. Uh, the thing about middle schoolers is when they lose a game or when something doesn't work out, they have to have a, some sort of like, not prize, but like loser's trophy I guess yeah. they have to have some consequence that actually matters to them and uh, because not a lot of things matter crazy. to middle schoolers. Yeah. Just uh, something so gross. we went with something. Well, what's something that's just gross? Sure. Middle schoolers enjoy gross things. They're kind of gross themselves. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll lose on yeah. purpose for something gross. Sure. And so uh, Gabe comes and he says, I have this liver that I need cooked so we can feed it to a middle schooler if they lose this game. Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause you, if that's okay, because I'm really scared that you're going to tell our friends something that's not true. Um, so Gabe buys the liver and then comes to me and says, I'm going to cook this liver. Do you know how? And I admitted, 
I do not know how to cook liver. I said, that seems really complex, really difficult. Maybe we should Google it or talk to somebody that's like done it before. And he says, no, let's just ask Rob. Uh, Which was a mistake. So then we go to Rob and we say, Rob, do you know how to cook this liver? To which you say. It's probably a lot like chicken. Right. Like, how hard? It can't be that hard. It can't be that hard. It's kind of the root of what I said. So I was like, we'll figure this out. So later one night at camp, uh, I don't know how many families Gabe was trying to feed, but he bought so much liver. (laughs) And uh, we go to the old kitchen at the camp we go to, and we realize quickly that all their stoves and ovens were disconnected. And so we're like, we're going to need to go up to the new kitchen. Brand new kitchen. (laughs) Very new kitchen. Open just that summer kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. First camp in it. Uh, Sure. And we're gonna need we're gonna need to cook this liver up quick. I'm like, it won't take long. It'll be quick. Uh, so we're not sneaking. Like we're not we're not trying no. to like get away with anything. But we're also not trying to wake everybody up. And so we go up to this kitchen, and as soon as we open uh, the container that the liver was in, it smelled horrible. Well, I think liver it was sm- the worst if, thing I've ever liver, smelled. It I'm smelled not being so dramatic. terrible. It was really bad. And so yeah. I put it on a skillet. This whole liver, and. Away we go, right? And the more it cooks, the more horrible it smells. The more it just fills the entire, not just room, but building, everything. And if you're out there right now going, yeah, you don't know how to cook liver. That means you cook liver and you shouldn't be proud of that. It's it's Um, disgusting. That's gross. Um, So if you know how to do this and you're like, I could have done that I don't want to hear it. That's not something to be proud of. Don't wear it on your chest. Sure. Um, But yeah, it smelled so, so bad. So we have like the fans going and the doors open and Gabe's up there just like, being Gabe, not really, <laughs> I don't even know what he's doing. Chucking uh, extra liver out into the woods, probably at this point, yeah. We did do that at one point. Sure. So at the, at the end of it, we threw it in the woods. But uh, at one point, the whole building smelled so bad. Sure. Uh, and at a certain point, you forget about it. You forget how horrible it smells because you're just in it. Yeah. Uh, and then the doors burst open and Emily and I are kind of sitting there like on the skillet <laughs> with liver yeah. and like a trash bag. It was horrible. And we look and, and who do we see? Ronnie McKernan. We see Ronnie. Yeah. And yeah. Ronnie looks at us. Ronnie is the ministry assistant for students and children. Yeah. And like we've disappointed our parents before. A handful of times. I've never <laughs> seen a look like Ronnie gave me. I've never wanted to just shrivel up more. Yeah. Than she in came that in from yeah, the other bad. side of the building and could smell it, it a mile away. Uh, and it was horrible. And nobody horrible. told us how horrible it would be. So we had this little piece that was finally cooked. The rest got thrown in the woods. It was great. And it we fed it to story. a middle schooler the next day. And the real is we never told anyone that story because we were really embarrassed about it. So you're actually first, the second audience now that we told first service too, um, mm-hmm. to ever hear that story. Um, and and I now needed, this is online. It's now so. online for everyone, including the camp staff to see, which so I really sorry like. sorry about that. We but I just, I want to make sure that you remember if you are going to spread the story or tell it that the origin of the story is it was Gabe's idea. Which means, ours. say it with me. It's Gabe's, Gabe's fault. fault. Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but anyway, the reality is parenting is a lot like cooking liver, uh, which is probably <laughs> not true. But it's all more complex and maybe a little bit more smelly than we're initially realizing or initially understanding. And so, yeah, we want to minister to your children. That's really important. But we also realize that you guys have a really important job. And that for every one hour we're spending with your kids, you're spending closer to 40 or 50 at least. Parenting is a really taxing but really important job, and yet leading kids closer to the heart of God was never meant to be a solo task. Mm. Studies have shown us that the more consistent and loving and present non-family adult members that are in a kid's life pouring into them, the higher chance of success they have in every single area. So what a kid needs, like statistically, would be a community of people surrounding them, taking care of them, believing in them, impacting them, influencing them, and saying, I, here's the heart of God, and bringing them closer to that. 
Statistically, that's what a kid needs, and I believe that's what the church was supposed to be. The church is a community of people surrounding the kids and the students and the next generation, leading them closer to the heart of God. That goes so much further than just a parent. That's every single one of us. And I, and I think it's easy to hear, as Emily is talking about that, that the student ministry and the children's ministry here at Wellspring would really, really love for you to come and serve and jump in on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights with our middle school and high school and elementary students. I think that's true. Like, I think if you're somebody who has a passion for the next generation, uh, it's something that you believe you're gifted in. We would love to talk to you more about uh, participating in our ministries and jumping in. But what we're looking for is not just more warm bodies to volunteer and keep an eye out. We're looking for people to invest in the next generation. We're looking for people to invest and lead with massive influence and to wager and leverage that influence in a way that helps students follow Jesus because everything we do is about that very mission. David lived his life as a man who was after God's own heart and we do the same thing. Whether it's when people look at us and they see us and they see people who are chasing after God's heart when they see that part of us that looks more like God, that's also trying to pursue God in every area, there's power in that and there's power in when people see that in us. We don't want to just be people who are after the heart of God, but we want to be people in a church family that is helping other people do the same. Because when we all are helping people pursue the heart of God and when we're disciplined as a church to chase him in all areas and help people do the same, our world and our, gener- and our generations look different. Not even now, but down the road, we'll see the fruit of the labor we do today. And today we're so excited to have an opportunity to celebrate as a church and to work together as a church to practice that influence in action. So something about Wellspring is that we believe that baptism is an active and personal decision, right? That a person, between a person and God, declaring him as their Lord and their Savior. And so we think that's something that comes later on when a person is ready to make that decision for themselves. Um, But we also believe that it is our job as a church community to be raising and equipping kids to grow and develop closer to God so that they get to the point of making that decision for themselves. And so Proverbs 22, 6 says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And so about once a year, we do something called baby dedication. And that's just a chance for us to recognize the new little ones in our community, to pray over them, to celebrate them, and to commit that we're going to partner with these parents as they grow and as they develop these new little ones into the faith. And I was actually talking to a family um, in between services, and she was telling me that her, when her son was dedicated, there was a, an older man that came up to her and said, you know, do you have a picture or anything of this kid? And she's like, yeah, of course. And he was like, well, I'm going to commit right now. I'm going to pray over this kid every single day. And so from when the kid that day that they were dedicated up until the time that he graduated college and eventually this older man passed away, he prayed for this son, Caleb, every single day. And I just think that's beautiful. I think it's a picture of what our church should be partnering together and committing that we are going to do whatever it takes that these kids would know the heart of God. And so I want to introduce you to Adam and Sarah and their new little baby, Hadley. Will you give it up for them? Hadley was born this past summer, and she is just the cutest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, But we are really excited, and we are just happy and thankful for the chance to recognize her and to commit together to praying over her and doing whatever we need to do that she would know and see the heart of God in us. And so will you take a second? We're going to pray over them together. Will you pray with me for them? God, I thank you so much for the gift of new life. God, I thank you for Hadley 
and for her life and for the joy that she's already bringing. God, I thank you that you know her, that you have knit her together, that you know exactly where her life is going and that, God, you love her. And so, God, I just pray over Adam and Sarah as they're continuing to, to grow and, and to, to lead this little one closer to you. God, I just pray that you would be with them, that, God, your presence would be so clear, that, God, you would comfort them and be near to them, that, God, your presence would be known to Hadley more now than ever. So, God, I pray that you would equip us to be helping and guiding and loving her as well. And we love you so much. We're so thankful for what you're doing. Amen. So we're going to give them, uh, parents, just a little note. This is a Jesus Storybook Bible if you've never seen one before. It's a really cool chance to teach some stories in the Bible to your kids with pictures and words that are a little bit easier to understand. But we'll just give up for them one more time. Uh, we're so excited. In everything we do, we want to be people who are after God's own heart. We want to be chasing God with our actions. We want to be chasing God with our marriage, with our relationships as parents, in our jobs, as a church. Because we believe so passionately that when we do that, we affect not only ourselves and our own hearts or the people around us, but the people for generations to come. Emily and I had so many people and leaders and mentors in our own life pour into us when we were young that have led us to this point in our lives where we believe there's nothing more important than helping students and kids find and follow Jesus and empowering the next generation. That is so important. And so that's our job. That's our goal. That's our ministry But we don't want that to be our mission alone. We believe that's our mission as a church. We want to be people who are after God's own heart because we want to have kids who are after God's own heart. And then we'll be a church who is after God's own heart so that we can see a world who is after the heart of God. And what would it look like if we were a world seeking after the heart of God? Would you pray with us? God, we thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to declare your name as good and holy and faithful. God, you've been good for generations and you'll be good for generations past us here today. God, my prayer this morning is for discernment and wisdom like you gave to Solomon. It's for opportunity like you gave to Rehoboam. But more than anything, God, my prayer is that in all things, in all decisions, in all moments of our journey, we will be able to find and follow you. Help us not lean on our own understanding. Help us trust that you're good and your ways are greater than ours and that when we walk with you, you will, come, you will stick by the promises you've made because you have always been faithful to the promises you've made. God, help us see that and know that and help us live lives that teach that not just to those around us, but those who will come after us. Father, we love you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.